welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. My first guest, uh, Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence, is tied up for a few minutes. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to uh, talk a little bit about what's going on. I just uh, was on a webinar that uh, Anthony Robinson, the founder of the Minority Business Legal Defense and Education Fund, had me on. And surprisingly, uh, the leaders of, uh, of the event were folks all around the country, and they come up with strategy because we have two cases challenging affirmative action uh, in uh, this session of, uh, of the Supreme Court. Uh, uh, Ketanji Brown, uh, Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson will not be involved with the Harvard case, but she will be giving her views on uh, the North Carolina case. So we have uh, challenges uh, to affirmative action. And you can rest assured if, uh, if uh, the Republicans take over the House and the Senate, affirmative action will be dead. You can also kiss goodbye any possibility of bringing the, the perpetrators who tried to overthrow the United States government on January 6th. Now, it's absolutely amazing that you hear people want to be tough on crime, but they don't want to be tough on the biggest crime that happened in this century, and that was an attempt to overthrow the government uh, on January 6, 2020. Uh, you could see how some of the folks, when they went back home from that attempt, were treated with kids' gloves. Oh, well, you can go ahead and go to your brother-in-law's reception or his, his wedding in Mexico. Uh, but I, I see that uh, we've been joined by Hayward Evans for a minute. Uh, Hayward is a co-convener of the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee. Uh, we did have a very good productive call with the director of the Seattle Arts and Culture, Royal Ali Barnes. And Hayward, give us your impressions about the directions of MLKCC. Well, you know, thank you for uh, having me. And, you know, MLKCC, I think we're doing absolutely fantastic. We've closed out this year on a very high note, uh, August 28th although we have to prepare for next year, but August 28th event, the 59th anniversary of the March on Washington was fantastic. The, uh, the award recipients that we've identified who are social justice leaders in our community, one of them being our fiscal agent, Michelle Merriweather from the uh, Urban League of Metropolitan Seattle, very proud of her and the work that she did. And she received the Edwin T. Pratt Award, named, of course, after the gentleman who was assassinated uh, years ago, who was the then president of the uh, uh, Urban League? Well, hey, well you know what? You remember uh, during uh, the uh, past superintendent's administration, Denise Juno, and how uh, all the black men, and there were some people that were on her staff that are still there now, with Brent Jones being the superintendent. But one of those people we have on the line right now, I want you to hear from his name is Eric McCurdy. He was the athletic director for the Seattle School District. And like all the other brothers, he got ran out. So, uh, Eric, I have uh, Hayward Evans on the line right now. Thank you for coming on early. Oh, guess what? I want you all to hold on for a minute and hear from uh, Eric McCurdy is now the Associate Vice President and Director of Athletics at Cal State Dominguez, Dominguez Hills in uh, Carson, California. So uh, I would like to have you guys hear from uh, Congresswoman Lawrence for one minute before we... We uh, go to you. Can you hold on for, with us for that long? Yes. Congressman Lawrence, are you on with us? Hello. How are you? Okay. Well, you got two two bad brothers on the line with you right now. Eric McCurdy is uh, uh, the vi associate vice president of uh, and director of athletics at Cal State University at Dominguez Hills. And Hayward Evans is a co-convener of the Seattle King County Martin Luther King. I mean, Seattle uh, Martin Luther King. Can you hear me? Yes. I, yes. I, you're coming through loud and clear. But I just want okay. to let you know who's on the line. 
Now, okay. uh, Congressman Brenda Lawrence has uh, been in the Congress since 2015, uh, and she also had been the mayor of Southfield, Indiana, uh, Illinois, Michigan, from 2001 to 2015. And this time around, we talked about the gerrymandering. I think they put uh, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee and Congresswoman Al Green in the same district. And she's wow. experienced the same thing. But she's there working on behalf of the people. So, Congresswoman Lawrence, thank you very much. And if you could just share with us a little bit about what you're doing right now, and we, we can proceed from there. Well, it's an honor to be uh, with you today. And I want you to know that the number one priority for me is working to keep the majority. I can't tell you how critical it is for those who thinking that this is an exciting race. You know, there's no president on it and they're sitting it out. It's so much at stake because if the majority goes to the Republican Party, things like the investment in child care, the investment in voting rights, the investment in criminal justice reform, gun control, all of that will be wiped away. In addition to that, when we talk about accountability for January the 6th, that committee will be shut down and we will not have even have that voice. The majority makes a difference. And so when you look at all these candidates running across the country and that big race in Alaska, where you have Sarah Palin running um, is one that's garnering a lot of attention because we know that that's another voice and that's another seat that will carry this campaign of untruths and campaigns of divisiveness. Um, and we really have a lot of work to do. And the most important thing is for people that are registered to please vote and take somebody with you. And in Absolutely. Washington State, we have mail-in voting. So we could be uh, voting like right now, in which I will be dropping mine off later this afternoon. Yes. yes. And in Michigan, we have what we call early voting. I'm sorry, there's a plane going by that you can hear. Uh, we have early voting where you can go to your to your uh, voting precinct and fill out your ballot. If you think you're going to have an issue or a problem uh, on Election Day, Go in now. It'll be open. Your clerk's office will be open on the weekend. But, you know, know your candidates. And we are really facing some very, very unique um, challenges. And so I'm really asking everyone to pay attention and to, you know, whose shoulders do we stand on? Our ancestors who fought and died for us to have the right to vote. I know right now I'm my heart is broken because Michigan will not have an African-American representing the state of Michigan. I was the last one and the votes, the way 15 percent of the black vote turned out to vote. And we lost our representation, even though there were opportunities on the ballot to elect a qualified African-American. They count on us not voting. They literally say, oh, they're not going to vote. They're not going to come out. And then the Republicans has really found a way to message, to encourage people to stay at home. Well, if they encourage uh, their people to stay at home, it would be great. I think that happened when uh, we, they didn't have mail-in voting in certain uh, states. And exactly. uh, that, yeah, 
and the Republicans wanted to go with who voted in person that day. Uh, so as far as, as you're concerned, as far as it, as it looks, uh, all, everything will go away when the majority, because they're talking about right now about a red wave. But what I can't understand is all of, uh, I guess, uh, uh, Mr. Belcher put it best. He said if the Supreme Court decision would have came this week or last week, it would have been a lot better. But all the women that were so outraged about not having control of their own bodies, what happened to that anger and that motivation? Well, we're counting on that. The women I have been shaken to the fact that, wait a minute, these, because understand, women put Donald Trump in office. Those independent women, those moderate Republicans, they took a, they took a, a chance with Donald Trump. And now they're seeing, wait a minute, I may be a Republican, but wait a minute, you're going to take away something? I have my rights. And we are counting on the Democratic women and the moderate, independent women to to really wake up and say, this vote is about your rights and your daughters and the future generation of women. And we're counting on that vote. And I, I, I feel strongly from what I'm seeing, it's going to be an uptick in women voting. And let me tell you something. In my district, when I ran, when I did my research, 60% of the voting base, it was women. Women are the number one demographic for voting. Especially the Democratic Party. Well, I got, uh, I want to see if uh, my colleague Hayward Evans, I had a question or a comment for you, uh, Congresswoman Lawrence, if he's okay. not driving down the street. Congresswoman Lawrence, first, thank you uh, for your service to our country. Very appreciative. Uh, in light of, of what's going on, and if, in fact, this red wave does come, what's going to happen to the uh, to the records from the uh, from the investigation, from the, the insurrection report? What, what are they going to do with the, that material? So I, I haven't gotten um, a memo on that, but I will tell you this. It will go in a box and it'll be archived and it will not be looked at again until we take back the majority. Because even having a president, because, you know, I served in in the House when we had a Democratic president, but had a Republican majority and the Republican majority, they will not have any hearings. They will dismantle that that caucus. So if you have no one investigating it, you have no um, committee hearings, it goes away. It's in a box somewhere archived, and it will not be something that the public will hear about as long as they are in power. I want to ask the Associate Vice President from Cal State University, Dominguez Hills, the Associate Vice President and Director of Athletics, Mr. Eric McCurdy, if he has a question or a comment for you, Congresswoman. I was just listening and uh, fascinated by Congresswoman Lawrence's knowledge of uh, just what we can do as a people uh, to move forward uh, with voting rights and every other uh, aspect of just making sure that our voices are heard. Having lived, having been born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, went to school in Birmingham, Alabama, lived in Houston and Seattle, now California. And my question is, did you look at the different states what do we need to do as a 
people to continue to mobilize so that we get the right individuals in office, ma'am, who can help guide us and move us forward in just the aspects of what we need as a uh, as a race. You know, one of the biggest challenges we're facing is the lack of truth and the number of people who are embracing untruths and lies, straight out lies. We, you know, so often we'll complain among ourselves, but we don't have the courage to publicly speak out when we're being fed these, these buckets of lies. And there's a couple things that I wish, and depends on the state how important it is. So we know in Tulsa with the, um, the Black Wall Street, the suppression of the truth allowed decades of people being denied their rights. I went to the 100th um, commemoration and it was just amazing to me. Here's a black woman in America. And I, I didn't find out about black street, um, the black wall street until I was a grown woman. I didn't hear anything about it in school. I lived up North. Nobody was talking about it. And it, this is, it has just been a ripple effect across the country where so many people, white and black said, Whoa, wait a minute, this happened in America. And now when you talk about, um, and I'm so glad that I'm, people are now starting to use the correct narrative. When it comes to gun violence, and you t- you're sitting here having this debate with me about choice. Every child should leave. Well, where the heck are you, is your voice when it comes to the number one killer of children today is from gun violence? And you say nothing. You sit there and say, oh, my Second Amendment right. So if you're okay with killing babies and children, that's what's happening now with guns. You know, you, we need to call them out. And it's always that narrative that if you talk about guns, you're going to talk about my Second Amendment rights. I'm with you for you to have your Second Amendment rights. But what the heck are we going to do about our babies dying? Why can't we have a grown conversation, a sensible and reasonable conversation about sensible gun control? That's that's a very good point, ma'am. Very good point. So uh, uh, do you have any plans, uh, Congresswoman Lawrence, uh, for another elective office since you're not going to be running, since you've been gerrymandered out of your district? And I I want the record to be correct. If I had ran, I would have won. Uh, I chose at this time in my life for so many reasons that it's time for me to transition and turn the page in my life. So I wasn't gerrymandered out. I made the personal decision not to run. And I'm going to stay involved in policy. I'm going to see how I can connect with our administration to use all this experience and knowledge that I have gained. And then on top of that, there are so many boards and commissions that's doing God's work in our communities. And I'm going to participate and continue to use my voice um, to, you know, try to herd this thing we call a democracy and get it back on track. So I'm, you know, I won't have the 
the day-to-day stress of a political office or of campaigning, but it still rests on my heart that we have so much to do, and I'm committed to doing the work. Well, Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence, I want to thank you very much. Thank you for your contributions, and thank you for all you're going to do in the future. So thank you very much for your time today. And I let uh, Jennifer know that uh, at two hours after this program goes off, it will be available on Alexa, on my podcast. Oh, and then good. after one week, it will be archived on my website, urbanformnw.com. So folks can go back and hear all of the words you have, wisdom you have shared with us. So thank you very much today. We really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And when I talk about doing God's work, you're doing it because we have to come at this every angle possible. You know, there's a lot of pressure on you when you're a politician to fix everything. We are a government, but the people are the ones that make a difference. Thank you. Thank you very much, ma'am. Okay. Uh, Congresswoman Brenda Lawrence from the 14th uh, Congressional District in Michigan. I want to thank Hayward Evans and, and, uh, uh, Associate Vice President for Curdy for chiming in, being a panel uh, today. And so now we're going to go to uh, the former athletic director of Seattle Public Schools, who is now the Associate Vice President and Director of Athletics at Cal- California State University at Dominguez Hills, uh, which is a few miles from LA and Carson, California. So congratulations, Eric McCurdy. Mr. Ryan, I know last night uh, you were having dinner with your daughter Angela for her birthday tell her hello and I think last week we spoke and it was your wife's birthday so uh, tell her hello as well it's always good to talk to you sir how you doing so far so good so tell us a little bit about uh, well we know what happened with uh, Superintendent Juno and the mass exodus of, of highly qualified black males who all went on to bigger and better things including the current superintendent who uh, left by way of Sandusky has returned, uh, Dr. Brent Jones has returned to the school district as a superintendent. So, but you have uh, new uh, horizons right now. You're down at Cal State Dominguez Hills, not only the director of athletics, but the associate vice president. So share with our listeners a little bit about what your duties and responsibilities are going to be. Yes, sir. I'm, I'm so blessed. Um, my dream has always been uh, to be an intercollegiate uh, college, you know, athletics director. I, uh, I was a division one student athlete for soccer and finished at the University of Alabama, Birmingham. I uh, was able to work at the University of Houston and coach basketball there. Uh, we went to the NCAA tournament, I believe at that time in 2010 for the first time in 18 years and kind of put them on the back, uh, back put, put them back on the map with coach Tom Penders before the great things that Calvin Sampson is doing now. Uh, I interned over at Texas Southern, so was at a true HBCU uh, and got my feet wet there and then was able to come to Seattle and take a deeper dive into secondary education. And so to come back to what I always wanted to do, uh, when you look at this university, um, last year we had uh, our softball team uh, was runner up for national championship, a few runs off from there. Our soccer team has been as high, men's soccer is uh, number two in the country right now. But one thing that people may not know about the university, it's CSU system, California State University system is 23 universities. Uh, we graduate more black males than any of those schools. Um, our demographics are 85% plus brown and black students of color. So it's a very unique university when you think about, I believe, uh, something like 64% Latinx, 11% African-American, 11% Asian, 
close to 10% Caucasian, 2.3% mixed or other. We're, we're what they almost call an HBCU on the West Coast. And so uh, that's what I'm most excited about is that I'm working with our uh, students of color to have them in, into intercollegiate athletics and make a huge difference, Mr. Rock. So uh, in terms of, uh, I, I don't want to uh, talk about you know, the Seattle School District experience because that's, that's still festering and, you know, but I, I know that I know that uh, they did have to compensate you for some of the injustices that you suffered. And that's unfortunate. Anybody have to go through that. But, uh, you know, it was just so highly unusual to have so many high profile black administrators in one school district all targeted. And boy, I tell you, the school board was very, very quiet about the whole thing. It concerned a lot of us. But I was just happy that uh uh, Rita Green, the NAACP, and other progressive folks stepped up to the plate uh, to try to uh, call for change and actually make some change. So uh, uh, you just started at Cal State University. How long have you been there? Been there three weeks. And All right, you back, just got there. Man, I just got here, Mr. Ryan. And the good thing for me is that um, I'm able to come in and assess everything. When you talk about Seattle specifically, you know, I can't say too much about the past as I'll be out here picking up coins for cash in the soup line. But what I, what I will say is that uh, the great things that Dr. Jones is doing, he's a friend of mine, he's doing exceptionally well. Uh, my good friend, Ted Howard is over there, uh, over in community, community operations and development. George Breland is over there. Uh, so these are guys that mm -hmm. uh, not only uh, have been friends of mine, uh, but a guy that on a Bible study with me and even virtual right now as we speak. And so uh, I'm excited for what those brothers are doing to make a difference in Seattle and Seattle public schools. When you think about the athletics department, I'm happy with Pat McCarthy, who's the executive director and TD, Tara Davis and Kalani Agarta and Stephanie Perez. And uh, though he hasn't been there in a while, still my mentor, Greg Bashir, and just what that, what that department in the Metro league was able to do, to graduate so many students, especially of color, and be nationally ranked in basketball and have great football programs. And, you know, Spoon's doing a phenomenal job over there at Garfield. And I know his father, Will Rell, the bishop, who's really supported me. And Corey's doing great over there in football over at the beach and Mike Bethea and B. Roy. And so when you think about the history of Seattle and athletics and the great things that are happening there, Mr. Rye, I'm just excited that I got to be a little bit a part of the successes that they're having before I got there and even now. Well, Vice President, Associate Vice President, Director of Athletics, Eric McCurdy, thank you much. And we're going to keep up with you because we want to see what's happening with uh, the HBCU on the West Coast at Cal State University of <laughs> Dominguez Hills. So, yeah, that, I tell you one thing, they qualified to be a HBCU almost with all those people of color there. So, brother, thank you very much. And uh, we'll stay in touch. And, you know, we'll talk periodically offline. So we can tell the truth to each other about certain things. But I of course, leave that alone. of course. Okay, sir. Thank you very You're much. You're my man, and thank you so much, Mr. Ryan. Appreciate you for having me on. Yeah, thank you for being a panelist today too with Congresswoman Brenda, uh, Brenda Lawrence. We appreciate that. I appreciate it. It was an honor. What I didn't get to tell her, Mr. Ryan, when I spoke about Tulsa, is I should have hit her with Green, with the Gap Band, Greenwood, Archer, and Pine. When she started talking about uh, Greenwood, but she, I, I, she, she got the rolling, so I couldn't say anything, but it was an honor to be on there with her as, uh, as well. And thank you again, for letting us be on. All right, sir. Thank you. Okay, yes, Eric, we're going to uh, take a break and come back with the Braxton's after this. It's not a singing group now. Why sit in bumper to bumper traffic when you can hop on link light rail and fly by the gridlock? 
It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Live Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Live Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the Port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Uh, my next guest is Reverend Dr. Leslie D. Braxton, the senior pastor, the pastor at New Beginnings Christian Fellowship, uh, also uh, a, a, a dynamic speaker who speaks for the Martin Luther King Commemoration Committee every chance we get, because people love to hear him. And we also have a former co-host and also known as his daughter, Ms. Carissa Braxton, who's doing big things with the City of Seattle's Office of Economic Development. But we're talking today about how we can help uplift and help some folks and it's about uh, the New Beginnings Christian Fellowship uh, Future Leaders Scholarship Banquet that will be held uh, next Friday, November 4th at the church. And I will turn it over to my pastor, Le- Leslie D. Braxton. He give us the details and the smart women in the family can fill in the details. <laughs> That's about it. Uh, Eddie, it's so good to be uh, here with you and your uh, radio audience and your online audience again. Yes, on Friday, November the 4th at 7 p.m., uh, we will be in our sanctuary turned into banquet hall um, for one of the marquee events in the Pacific Northwest, and that's the annual Future Leaders Scholarship Banquet. And our the goal of it is to raise upwards of uh, 75K all in one shot that will uh, go towards the scholarships that we give in June that are anywhere from five to $9,000 to people who are trying to get their education. If you add that up over four years, that's uh, 20 to $35,000 less money that you have to borrow um, or work that you have to do to try and get a college education. And we know that a college educated person over a period of four years or a period of a lifetime earns a million more dollars than people uh, with just a high school uh, education. And um, so this year's speaker is going to, for the banker, is going to be Dr. Karen Johnson, who is the first ever director of the Department of Equity, Office of Equity for the state of Washington, who's also an ordained Baptist preacher. And man, can she go. 
So you're going to get head and heart as she addresses this reality that throughout our history, uh, faith and education have been the two twin poles that lifted our race from degradation now to abundant life at all levels and spheres of American life and culture. Um, we feature in this program people whom we give lifetime achievement awards who who personify what faith and education can do to make a life impactful to the life of community and others. And this year's recipients will be none other than the host of uh, this broadcast here. And that is the one and only Eddie Rye Jr. for lifetime achievement in um, activism, uh, speaking truth to power, um, being that prophetic voice out there, shaking down resources for his community, the last and the least. And then Dr. Maxine Mims, a, a walking icon in education. They will be receiving Lifetime Achievement Awards and giving statements uh, as recipients of those said awards. And uh, our Young Adult Ensemble, uh, is going to be bringing just fabulous music. So we're going to be all dressed up on point in our full haberdashery as we uh, do, I think, one of the two important things you can ever do some, for someone to make their life matter. And number one, convert them to an eternally soul-saving faith. And then number two, educate them. Because the two things people can never take from you, that's your faith and your education. Now I'm going to let the, um, the better me of the newer version, the newer model of the Braxton family, fill in the details as a, uh, or give you the perspective of a, a past recipient of this scholarship award. Uh, well, thank you, Dad. But also I'd like to note that I'm a current recipient of the scholarship award because I have begun a graduate school program. And so as somebody who was a beneficiary of these scholarships when I was at um, Howard University for undergrad, um, that was a significant benefit for helping me be able to get through a very expensive private institution. Um, and I think my mother and father who were helping to be the primary funders of that education were certainly grateful for the generosity that helped alleviate the financial burden of having two kids to put through college. Um, and then as a graduate student, having a, to fulfill that burden on my own, um, now at the University of Washington, being able to come back to the scholarship fund as well as other scholarships uh, to be able to alleviate that financial burden so that I don't have to take um, as much out in debt, which we know is crippling my generation of millennials um, and really creating a barrier to being able to have that full trajectory that our education promises us, but the financial burden of acquiring the education um, is actually holding a lot of my peers back. And so I'm just grateful that that generosity is still on the hearts and minds of everybody who gives to the scholarship banquet, um, because it is a benefit for those of us who are in undergrad, who are in um, technical programs, um, those of us who are in graduate programs or PhD programs, like every dollar truly does count. And it takes a little bit of the stress away so that we can focus on our studies and not be so stressed out about paying the bill to the financial aid office. And she, uh, she is the Director of Communications and Strategy for the City of Seattle's Office of Economic Development. So uh, that's where she is. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, the, uh, the president's uh, forgiveness program, I guess that's under attack right now by the Republicans. Is that right? You have any details on, you know, they're going to uh, dismiss $20,000 or $10,000 of Pell Grants or whatever. What is apparently, the status of that right now? Apparently there are 15 states 
that have sued and the, the, the courts have ruled a stay on the program because they have sued saying that the state will be harmed if they give this relief. Now, if you do it in purely economic terms, we know that that will jumpstart an economic engine because instead of people paying money back in indebtedness, that money will go to home purchases, which drives our economy and other things. Studies have shown that uh, two generations back, there's the same level, a comparative level of indebtedness of folks then and young people now. It's just that that indebtedness was in a first home purchase and not in student loan repayment because we know the healthcare costs and um, housing costs have far outseeded the cost of uh, inflation and cost of living in this country. And so there's some structural problems we have to do with making healthcare accessible and affordable and, and um, uh, education uh, and also housing. And so um, there are 15 Republican controlled states that just ideologically speaking, don't want the Biden agenda to go forward. And what they're really saying is we want to keep these young people strapped with this debt, which then delays their uh, purchasing home. And that's how people, non um, wealthy people, build wealth is through uh, home ownership. Yes, indeed. Uh, you know, I've been watching some of these commercials kind of close. Uh, there was one, one, one uh, in, uh, uh, matter of fact, I think the churches in the, in the, the district uh, with Claudia Kaufman is running and they run an ads now saying Claudia Kaufman left us and became a big time lobbyist. She was working for the Muckleshoot Indian tribe, uh, dispersing millions of dollars to nonprofit organizations and communities in need. So I, I just had to take a chance since we were talking a little bit about politics to make that statement, because uh, the other thing is you've never seen her opponent, who is a black Republican by the name of Bill Boyce. I need to ask Mr. Boyce, do you think Biden, uh, that Biden is the president? Uh, do you think that uh, the elections were rigged? Uh, are you a Trump supporter? And those are some questions, but it's kind of interesting. They have these attack ads on Claudia Kaufman, but they never show her opponent. And those are some questions I think you need to ask. A lot of folks in your congregation live in that district. So I just want to make sure before we got, what, one Sunday before elections? Mm -hmm. Two Sundays. Well, yeah, Two okay. Sundays. Two Sundays. So I just want to make sure that People uh, really understood that Claudia Kaufman worked for the Muckleshoot Indian tribe. She was not a lobbyist, was uh, taken away. She was giving back, and the Muckleshoots were giving back to the community. And they used to run ads with all the money they gave back. So now I want to ask Ms. Carissa Braxton, uh, how many students, and Pastor Braxton, you asked, how many students have received scholarships through this Future Leader Scholarship Banquet? That's definitely a question for my my dad and for the scholarship ministry. I mean, you just know you got one, right? I okay. just know I got one. But I do know that it's a significant amount, because if you count up 17 years, even when we were in the cafeteria of investing in students, um, that's where, you know, that's now um, nearly two decades of educational yeah. investment. And yeah. then the expanded investments, when you look at the rise up. Um, I think it's what 501c3. Yeah. So yes. Yeah, that allows us to invest in additional students, some of some of which 
um, don't have any, you know, uh, formal relationship to the church in terms of like, you know, being a member or something like that. So we really have two prongs that are investing in, in, um, in young people and, you know, adults that are going back to school and making career changes and things. So add that up over almost 20 years. It's a lot of people that are beneficiaries of the generosity. I can give you in round numbers, Eddie, we looked at it. We've done uh, in excess of $1.5 million in scholarships over these past 17 years. For the last five years, we've given away uh, in excess of $100,000 a year. This past year was, I think, our most stellar year. We did $125,000, and we do about 35 to 40 students a year. Um, and, uh, and that's in and outside of the congregation and they have to meet academic standards, uh, but then also a community service standards, standards of service, because again, the whole goal is for people to get educated so that they can live a life that uh, is impactful to others and not just live unto themselves. Mm-hmm. Ready to lead a protest, a demonstration for justice and equality. Absolutely. Okay, that, that, that's that's what I want. And let me be careful to say the tickets. You can go. You can hit the church's website, thenbcf.org, uh, and get tickets for the banquet. They are seventy-five dollars per individual ticket. We have over forty tables that have been uh, purchased and so and, and sponsored. Uh, by individuals, by groups, corporations, and so forth. So, uh, but we still have room for people to purchase individual tickets uh, for the um, event. And then you can put on some of them clothes you don't get to wear every day here in old casual Seattle, put on your semi-formal gear and uh, get geared up and get your nails did and uh, come on out in full haberdashery and see how Eddie Rye looks cleaned up. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what uh, what about the time and the program? What does that look like? What do you mean when you say the time? The time it is at 7 p.m. What time does it start? And then it starts at 7 day. p.m. And our benediction is scheduled for, I believe, 8.55. So right up at 9 o'clock. Two, two hours for a banquet, uh, a, a seated uh, banquet and program um, is very good time because normally they're around three hours. Okay. So we're, we're well under that. So what time will, will the meal be served? <laughs> we get right to the food because we know that people normally eat dinner, particularly as you get older, you eat it earlier. So we start right at seven. I mean, we start precisely on the dot. The entire program is scripted. I know because I wrote the script okay. and um, the, the dinner is to be served right at like seven fifteen. Okay. And, uh, well, look, uh, I will announce it next week. So, but I really want to thank uh, Reverend Dr. Leslie D. Braxton and his daughter Carissa Braxton, outstanding leader down at the City of Seattle, Direct Communications and Strategy. Also, was a former co-host of Urban Forum Northwest. Uh, so, I know that she was ready to move on because she was just so sharp. I'd say, "Hey, can you <laughs> do this little announcement here?" Man, she, hey, it was. I said, "Wow, it sounds better than what was written on the, in the newspaper." <laughs> But that's, that's, right. a, that's how talented she is. So I know that she is a real talented person. So Braxton, thank you very much. And uh, we'll do a shout out again next week. And uh, I'll see you on uh, November 4th. I have to be there at five o'clock, right? Uh, no, it starts seven. I, I need you there at six, Eddie. Yes, sir. Okay. We'll be. Congratulations to Dr. Maxine Mims, the real Lifetime Achievement Award winner. Anybody can start a college in Tacoma for Black folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Matter of fact, my man, he was saying, well, Dominguez Hills, the first historic uh, HBCU on the West Coast. 
Tacoma Evergreen was the first HBCU on the West Coast, started by Maxine Mim. So we'll who helped my mother get her BA at 50 years of age. Hey man, they graduated more black students, I think, than the University of Washington in the last five years. But anyway, that's just. But then they have a Tacoma campus now, which is doing yes. well. Yes. Okay. So if you if you want to get in the mix, you got to go south. Started <laughs> new beginnings and gone matriculate all through federal way to Tacoma, and you'll be all right. Well, when I just let me share this with you. When I talked with Dr. Maxine Mims about this year's program, and I said, Dr. Maxine Mims, this is Leslie Brax. I said, Do you remember who I am? And she said, oh, Lord, yes, baby. She says, you were such a pretty baby. And I said, well, then how come my mama ain't got but one or two pictures of me? She said, that's because your mama didn't look at you through the eyes of potential. <laughs> <laughs> and she's very, very sharp. Okay, y'all. Thank you. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, all Okay. All right, man. Now. See Thank you very much. Bye. Yeah, we'll hit that break now. <laughs> Bye-bye. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Linklight Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Linklight Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Linklight Rail. Just another way that sound transit is powering progress. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 1150 KKNW. All right, Eddie Ryan back at Urban Forum Northwest. I want to give a shout out to the City Sales Purchasing and Construction Services Office. Let everybody know Liz Alzier has retired and Jesse Gilliam is the acting director of the city's uh, uh, of Seattle's Persons Construction Services Department. I want to talk at Sound Transit's Office of Civil Rights, Diversity, and Inclusion with John T. Robinson, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office, me and Rice, Lawrence Coleman, and Josie Regan, who I saw driving down the street. I let her know where Jimi Hendrix 
came up with the idea to do a, a Spanish Castle Magic on 200th and International Boulevard. SeaTac Bar Group LLC, uh, they have the Mountain Room Bar and the African Lounge and Concourse A. That's Jerry Whitson and Rod O'Neill. And my next guest is a dynamic leader of uh, the African Chamber of Commerce of the Pacific Northwest, Peter Gashuru. <clears throat> and they have a, he has a big event that he hosts every year. And so, Peter, welcome to Urban Forum Northwest. And I understand this year you will have the ambassador from Tanzania, uh, Her Excellency Elsie Sia Kanza, who is ambassador to the United States and to Mexico, and she'll be present too. So give us the rest of the information on that, Mr. Gashuru. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful, Eddie. As I said, uh, we do this event every year. Uh, we'd like to invite your, uh, your listeners. Uh, basically, African Chamber of Commerce is a 24-year-old organization that educate Americans about Africa, uh, build linkages between businesses from here with the businesses in Africa, and move technology from here to Africa. The event will be taking place on Saturday here in downtown Seattle at the Motel Hotel. Here is with me is Joyce Rory. She's the office manager, and she will give you an overview on who will be attending. Joyce. Good afternoon, and thank you so much to you, Eddie Ray Jr., and to your listeners. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. would like to invite you to our event. Once again, it's on Saturday, October the 29th. It starts at 7.30 and ends at 10 p.m., so that is 7.30 a.m. and ends at 10 p.m. It's in two sections. We have the forum and lunch. Um, and that one, that section ends at 4. Then at 6 until 10, the dinner starts. Um, we have a very good lineup of uh, dignitaries that are coming. We have ambassador uh, ambassadors. And, um, and other state and local officials. Um, to start, we have the Deputy Mayor, uh, External Affairs, Greg Wong, City of Seattle, he's gonna be with us. We have Congressman Adam Smith, and he's gonna be with us. Um, we also have other um, officials like uh, Rick Angiani, Regional Director of Africa, Exim Bank, we have Jessica Raddy, and he is with U.S. International Development Finance Corporation. We have Roland Chaitan, and he is with Business Impact Northwest. We also have Ashley Babner, Senior Commercial Officer, Bureau of African Affairs, U.S. Department of State, um, and the lineup of ambassadors and other dignitaries as follows. Her Excellency, Ambassador Marie-Hélène Mathibon-Luambo, Democratic Republic of Congo. We have Her Excellency Ambassador Margarith Mensa Williams of Namibia. We have Honorable Governor of Kasai, DRC Congo. I am going to mess up his name. <laughs> Dear Dorner, Diamante Tutopat. <laughs> we also have Mr. Said Nyenge, and he is counselor with the Embassy of Tanzania. Um, along with that, we do have Garmai Zahalai, 
and he is King County Council member. Um, who else do we have? We have business owners who are going to be there with us and they're going to be talking to us about their uh, business success. And we have Miss Aisha Jallo, Dr. Ayele, Abbas Mohammed, Rob Smith, and Edward Wright, among others. Yeah, good, good, good. African is one of the growing market, huge market. So if you have some products that you would wish to sell to the African market, uh, please do let us know. Because one of the activities that we want to be and to engage with is encouraging African-American businesses to enter the African market. Let's not leave it to Chinese. Let's, uh, you know, let's, uh, let's uh, have some of the companies here uh, do business in Africa. As I said, that's one of the fastest growing markets uh, with a very huge consumer, young consumer market. So, again, the event is going to be taking place this Saturday. Uh, it's going to be our 22nd. It would otherwise be our 25th. We didn't hold it for the last uh, uh, three years. And I want to thank Ed, a good friend of ours of the chamber, uh, for always supporting us every year. The first one we organized during WTO, and Ed was with us, uh, with his friends. So, Ed, we thank you. Yeah, you know, uh, I just heard recently that uh, there's more natural gas in Mozambique than in Russia. That's and good. Right now, right now, with the energy shortage, it would seem to me that uh, President, uh, from the White House on down, they would be trying to uh, hook some brothers up to go in and cut a deal because we need the energy. Yes. And then that way, uh, you don't have to worry about the Saudis playing games with the United States again on they're right in lockstep with Russia in terms of denying access to fuel. So my thinking is that if we have all this natural gas in Mozambique, how come we can't send uh, some money over there and joint venture with the folks in Mozambique to get some natural gas, not only to the United States, but around the world? Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. In fact, next year, uh, we are going to make sure that we invite the ambassador from Mozambique. Yes. <clears throat> what other opportunities do you see right now for, uh, I'm, since I'm African-American, for African-American business owners with various opportunities in, on the continent? Well, business is investing in technology, uh, investing in healthcare, <laughs> investing, investing in construction, and invest in investing in energy sectors. And so people that have any interest in doing any kind of business that Africa need to hook up with the African Chamber of Commerce of the Pacific Northwest, we would encourage them to come to the event so they can meet the people, see the people, bring some of their information about their companies with them to see how compatible that is with a, a joint venture partner in Africa or some other uh, uh, business possibility. Excellent. And one of the, you what you will hear also, as Joy said, we have invited people from organizations that provide funding for projects in Africa. We have a speaker from Export Import Bank, a United States International Development Finance Corporation. Uh, uh, these organizations 
fund huge projects. Uh, also, Africa is looking for partners for venture projects to work together. As I said, healthcare, energy, you know, construction, electricity, pharmaceuticals, all those uh, are areas that are looking for investors. Okay. Well, so, Peter, we're out of time right now. We will give uh, and encourage people. I have a list of folks involved with the National Association of Minority Contractors. I'll make sure they all get the information. Some of them have received it already. And I wish nothing but the best for you. And we like what you're doing. And I will be there. I don't know how long I will stay, but I'm definitely going to come down there and uh, pay my respects. When is the ambassador from Tanzania going to be there? Uh, the ambassador from Tanzania is sending his deputy. Okay. Uh, the ambassador from uh, Namibia, ambassador from Congo. Okay, uh, we have to go. We're, we're, we're out of time. But anyway, congratulations and good luck to you. And uh, I'll see you on Saturday. Okay, thank, thank you. you so much. Thank have you very much. Mm -hmm. See you on Saturday. Okay. All right, everybody. I want to thank you once again. I want to let, remind everybody that uh, the celebration of life for uh, Gary Owens will be at four o'clock in about an hour at the Filipino Community Center on Martin Luther King Jr. Way South. Uh, I want to give a shout out condolence to Cindy Domingo and uh, uh, Gary's children. And want to thank the City of Seattle's Personal Construction Services Office for their support. Sound Transit uh, Office of Civil Rights, Diversity and Inclusion. Port of Seattle's Versa Contracting Office, SeaTac Bar Group LLC, out there owned by Rod O'Neill and Jerry Whitsitt. And Eric, thank you once again for all that you do and have a good weekend.